This morning, we want to return back to the book of 2 Samuel. And I uh, wanted to just, you know, move past this message, but yet the Lord kept putting it on my heart. And, and two specific verses kept leaping up at me, and the Lord is like, stay right here. Just, just park right here for a second. And so last week, we explored how somebody so incredible, which two weeks ago, we looked at a man who faced giants. Israel's king, who was not a king at the time, encountered a situation where he was just so in, in, indignant that a man could challenge, who cares if he's a giant, almost 10 feet tall, a man was challenging the name of the living God. And that infuriated him because he had a relationship with God. He, he had a connection with the Lord. He had spent time in the backside of the wilderness tending his flock and just writing songs and melodies and, and poems to the Lord and, and practicing his worship to God and developing his relationship with the Lord. He was infuriated when he saw a man speak less of his God. And he stood before that giant and he says, today I come against you in the name of my God. And he defeated, he slayed that giant. So we looked two weeks ago how this man conquered and faced giants. And then last week we saw how such a man, a man who wrote Psalms, who, who did incredible things for the Lord, a man who is credited in the Bible to be a man after God's own heart, how such a man could fall. And we looked at the idea of how he could have fallen so quickly. How this man who had such relationship and vibrancy of, of connection with God could be a man that could fall away and commit such heinous sins. We looked at how this man, David, once he was king, once his throne was established on the pinnacle of success, the borders of Israel had never been larger until the moment it was under his rule. As God had blessed him, this man decides to linger in the realm of temptation a little too long. And just like James tells us that our evil desires carry us away and evil desires give birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. And we saw that in his story, how this man so connected with God could go ahead and fall from grace by choosing to have an affair with a married woman. But then not only that, once the news showed up that, hey, there's a bun in the oven, there's a baby on the way, he needed to conspire and come up with a plan to cover his tracks and to hide his shame, to hide his guilt, to, to uphold his good name in the eyes of the public. And so he conspired to have that man come home, her husband, and so everything could be worked out. Maybe he will spend a night with his wife and all will be fine and the baby will be claimed to be his and all that. But when that didn't work, this man who was so fired up and so intimate with the Lord goes a step further and commits the act of murder. He has that man sentenced to death in the, in the battles against the Ammonites. And so you know, the idea last week was how could such a person fall from grace? And the reason we're looking at that is because I know I'm not too far away from that man. I know that I am prone and I am susceptible to the very same uh, fall, if not, whether it be the exact one or, or something similar. I know I'm not perfect. And because I know I'm not perfect and I'm part of this 
collective called humanity. I know that all of us are in the same room in the exact same situation. Amen? If there's some honest people in this room, you got to say an amen right now. We've done some things that we're not proud of. Amen? We've all got skeletons in the closet, don't we? We've all got things that we wish, man, if I could have a reset button and a redo, I would have changed how I did that. And so I look at his story as it gives us incredible warnings. But we wrapped up our story last week on this note. Despite the fact that we saw how sin entered into his life and the progression of sin and all that it brought into David's life, we ended on this reality, that when we serve the God of grace, he is a God of second chances. Amen? And we saw how he took his story and he transformed David's outcome and God still gave him a future. Unlike his predecessor, Saul, God did not take the kingdom away from him and away from his descendants. And so today, I want us to explore, as we unpack, two critical verses that led to David's second chance. We didn't really get into it last week, and I feel like today we need to just step into this. What led to him experiencing the second chance with God, the Father, this merciful God that we serve? So let's pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 12, and I'm going to frame the context, and then we're going to extract some truths. And if you're okay with that, say amen. If you're not okay with it, say, Lord, help me. All right, because we're going. So here's what it says. I'm going to be reading from, from the NLT, even though you have the ESV up there. It says this. So the Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up in his, with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. Hospitality was a great, incredible thing in that culture. And you would receive a guest and you would give them the best of what you had because that was the requirement of the culture. And so David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. See, David was not just king, but as king, he held the seat of supreme judge within his realm. He would often try cases. He would know in intricate details the law, the Mosaic law that told him what was right and what was wrong. And he was very attuned to the fact that such an act required restitution and a punishment. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Ouch. You are the man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives. And the kingdom of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. 
Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites, and you've stolen his wife. Hey, by the way, before you say that technically you did not kill him, you murdered him through the sword of the Ammonites. From this time on, your family will live by the sword. Because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes. And he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it in secretly. But it will make this, I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all of Israel. Verse 13, then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. After Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. We'll park it there. Father, I thank you for the reading of your word. And Lord, I just pray that in the midst of it, life would become evident to us, Lord. And your truth would grip our hearts. Father, I pray that you would help us in your precious name. Amen. In all of that story, the context... David committed the sin. It's been 10 months probably. It's been some time since he committed that sin and he's been living his life because we, we talked about it last week after um, Uriah died and the period of mourning was over, David took on Bathsheba to be his wife. And they, along with the attendants, the one who brought her to, to David that night when he was walking on his terrace, only these three, these few, the, the, this select group of people knew what had happened and had seen the details of what, 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 had, what had happened. And so it's been all of this time that's been passed. And now it is believed that on the day that the child is born, when you know, the labor pains have come and, and the news has gone out that the child is on his way, the prophet shows up. God sends a prophet to speak to David. And what a meeting that was, huh? Imagine being in that room. Imagine being the attendant listening in on this conversation. You probably could hear pin drops in that place. You can imagine the emotions that David was feeling and what he was going through in that very moment. But there's two verses that absolutely strike me in this, in all of the rebuke and the reproach and, and what Nathan brings against David in that moment. David living with this and dealing with this in his heart and his mind. At that very moment, verses 13 and verses 14, just jump out at the page of me. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Church, if we're going to experience the way of forgiveness... Because all of us will at one point fall short of God's glory. We've already done so. And we will do so again. We have fallen short of the standard of God. This Bible tells us that there is a God who loves us and cares for us. And he's given us 
basic instructions before leaving this earth. He's given us a way to life, truth, and happiness. He's given it to us so that where he is, we may also be. He has given all of these parameters for us to have a society that is well-built, that, that, that functions and operates in, in good order. Not perfect order, but in good order for our good. He's given all of that to us, yet we have fallen short of it, and we do so time and time again. If anybody here is married, you know that we fall short. If anybody here has ever been in a relationship, you know you're going to fall, you fall short. If you've ever dealt with another human being, you know you fall short. If you become honest to yourself, to your desires, to your intentions, if you look and, and, and reflect on your own life, you know that you fall short in so many different areas. And so what I find incredibly gripping in this passage is that after David is approached by Nathan the prophet, there is a confession. And that confession startles me. And I believe that that confession is what allows the second chance of God to be experienced. It is confession to God that allows us to experience his grace and his mercy. It is when we come to him and we are open that we are able to experience that which he is intended and reserved for us. Can I get an amen? And so I want us to unpack the, the details of, of these two verses. When Nathan approaches David, David confesses. But let's look at his confession because it startles me. It shocks me. It makes me, it blows my mind. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. The first thing that comes to my attention is the fact that his confession was very prompt. It was immediate. His, his confession was right there. It was quick. I have sinned against the Lord. The prophet confronts him. And that confrontation awakened not resentment within David. It did not awaken with him another plot and conspiracy. Who are you to challenge me? Excuse me, sir. I'm the king of the land. Hey, I have the authority. Hey, just like I put away Uriah, who are you now to come up to me? I've, I've gotten away with this thing for 10 months. Nobody has been, you know, coming and bringing this up to me. Who are you at this point? The minute Uriah closes his mouth. David says, I have sinned against the Lord. There is no attempt to evade and there is no attempt to justify. Hello. After all, how could there be? How could he? At once he acknowledges his sin. David said, I have sinned. And this is not the result of only Nathan's faithful rebuke, but I think that this is the result of David's own reflections. I think this is the, the, the result of months and months of something eating away at him. Because in that time that elapsed, those months and months and months that has gone from the moment he committed the sin and he committed the murder, he has been living in sorrow. If we look, there are two Psalms in the scriptures that correlate directly with this season and this episode of his life. If we look at Psalms 32 and if we look at Psalms 51, and it tells us that guilt had gripped his soul. Listen to verse Psalms 32. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. See, Nathan's admonition, when Nathan showed up and said, hey, David, what you did was wrong, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. That was the final push that moved David beyond the tipping point. And David finally said, yes, I need to unburden my soul. I need to let go of this right now. 
How many of us have encountered this little thing called guilt? Guilt will rack an incredible price upon us. It will, it will wreak havoc within us and our bones will be wasted away. To live under you know, secrecy, to not be able to be open to something is to live under the heavy hand of God for his Holy Spirit just brings conviction inside of our hearts. When we know enough of this word, there's no getting around what we know. And we need to either make an excuse for it or we need to implement it. We have to make room for it. It's one or the other. David's response, his confession was very prompt, but it was also incredibly brief. A confession that was incredibly brief. Notice how there's only six words escaping his lips. And if you consider the original Hebrew, it's two words. Hata al Yahweh. I have sinned against the Lord. I once read this. When the heart is fullest, the words are fewest. When the heart is fullest, the words are fewest. Friends, when forgiveness is our aim, remember that it's not the length of words, it's not the amount of our confession, but it's the meaning and the sincerity behind it. It's the meaning, it's, it's what we want to, to say that matters, not how much we can say. That's why sometimes you can look and somebody can just give a stare, you just can give a look and you can express you know, a mountain of meaning. You can express so much with just one word. You can express so much with just one glance because of the genuine and the sincerity that is behind that person's stare, gaze, desire. Sometimes the amount of words is not what makes a difference. Jesus even said, you know, when you pray, don't be like the, the Pharisees who stand in the corners and they go on and on and on and they use all these words and words, but be like the tax collectors who just briefly came up to God and said, Lord, I have sinned. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I'm sorry. And that's it. You don't need to make it something crazy and something big. I find it incredible that God cares not for our phrases, but he cares for our affections. And you know what? For some of us, that's incredible. I, you know, I might stand up here and might, you know, share. And sometimes I share. Lately, I've been sharing for like an hour. God, forgive me. I don't mean to stand up here and preach for one hour, but you know what? As the Lord is leading, I'm going and I need to adjust that. But here's the deal. Sometimes we stand up here, I stand up here, and I'll say so many things and, and go on for so long. Sometimes I just need to realize I got to say the simple thing and move away and let God do his work. Sometimes God just wants to let us express the deep affections of our hearts. And it teaches us in this word that we don't need sometimes words, but it's through groanings and moanings, you know, that we can intercede, that we can talk to the Lord, that, that the Holy Spirit is, is and, and Jesus are interceding and praying on our behalf. And when we don't have the words, he does, and, and we can lean on him. And even if we don't have that word, but just we have the emotion, the rawness of it, that that in and of itself is enough for him. Because he can parse that out. He can judge that. He can, he can divide that and understand that and discern everything that is going within our hearts. David's confession when he's confronted with sin. I praise God that it was prompt. He did not make excuses for it. That started him on the road towards forgiveness. 
But then when he was able to finally open up, he was brief. He did not mince words. He did not get elaborate. And, and I look back to his predecessor. When Saul was given commands and was given instructions by the prophet, God told him that you are the king. This is your role. This is what you're going to do for the nation. This is where your lane is, and this is where you're going to operate from. Not over here, but over here. And when Saul got anxious and he got impatient and he saw the enemy coming to attack the nation and he stepped out of his lane, he started doing the work of the prophet as opposed to the work of the king. God sent a prophet to come and rebuke him. When Samuel came and said, Saul, what did you do? Why have you done this thing? And he starts going off and, and his confession, yes, I have sinned, yes, I did do this and I thought you weren't coming and you know what, I only needed to do this because of X, Y, Z and he started to justify and to explain and to blab on and on and on and his confession was ineffective. But when David cried out, Lord, I have sinned against you, his confession was brief. I love the fact that not only that, his confession was also very public. His confession was public. What David tried to do is hide his sin for, for all of these months. He tried to mask the fact that he got another man's wife pregnant. He wanted that man to come home and lay with his wife so that maybe everyone could expect that that was actually the husband's son that was being born. And when that failed, he enacted the plan to eliminate Uriah altogether. And that plan would have stayed quiet in people's eyes. Church, we don't escape the eyes of God. Psalms 139 says, where will I go and flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depth of the sea, you will find me. And then he goes on to using you know, figurative language to say basically, if I go all the way to the east and all the way to the west, there you're gonna find me. If I go where the sun rises and, where the, and when dusk, you know, where the sun sets, you're going to find me because I can't escape your presence. But David, in this moment, when it came time to confess, when he was approached with his sin, he did not try to hide his repentance. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing that, you know what, he would, I, I believe that if he had the ability to tweet something at that moment, if he had the, the opportunity to, to put something out on Facebook, he would have done that at that moment. Why? Because he wanted to redeem his situation. He wanted to redeem not his own situation, but he wanted to redeem his Lord. He wanted to redeem the reputation of his God and how much, he, uh, how much he, he believed his God was precious to him and how much his word meant to him and how much God's favor meant. He wanted everybody to know in that moment that even though he had sinned, his transgressions, uh, he wanted to repair in everyone's eyes and not say, hey, look, here I am, a hypocrite. But Lord, forgive me, for I have sinned, and you are the one that can forgive. You are the one that can make right this mess. Lord, I have done wrong against you. He made his, his repentance public. There's one scholar that said this, uh, F. Robertson. The necessity of confession to God arises from the weight of unacknowledged guilt. By us confessing, we are severing ourselves from our sin, and we are disowning it. Confession relieves uh, us by giving a sense of honesty. And so long as we retain sin unconfessed, we are conscious of a secret insincerity. 
He was conscious of an insincerity within his life that although people could praise him, you have a great kingdom, you're an incredible man of God, there was this insincerity within his life that was harboring and festering and it was growing and it was gonna lead him astray. Thank God that when the moment came, he confessed his sin openly before Nathan, openly before those who were in the court. And he goes on to mourn for that child. He goes on to fast and pray. And everyone's looking at him, him, king, what are you doing? He's, he's getting on the floor and he's fasting. He removes his outer garments and, he, and he's there just praying to God, not eating any food and seeking God's favor because he believes that God is the one that can, that can bring mercy. And he's appealing to God's tender mercies in that moment. He was openly public about what he did. And lastly, in terms of his confession, I find it incredible that David goes and says, I have sinned, but he doesn't leave it there. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. He acknowledged what he did. How many times have we, you know, gone to apologize to somebody? I'm sorry that you feel that way. I'm sorry that you took it that way. I'm sorry that X, Y, and yet that's not really a confession. It's not really an apology. You know, how many times when we consider what we've done and we see the sins in people's lives and we say, oh man, I just messed up. Man, I made a mistake. Man, I, 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 I had an indiscretion. I had a slip up. No, David called it for what it was. I have sinned. I didn't mess up. I didn't fall. I didn't, I, I sinned. I fell short of the glory of God. I broke his standards. I went against his law. I have violated his trust and his desire. I have gone against my God. When Nathan was stressing this point to David, David latched on accordingly. He said, look, I have, yes, I've wronged Uriah. I've wronged Bathsheba. I've wronged the unnamed soldiers that died when they pulled back the armies and Uriah was stricken. Also, other soldiers were stricken. Some husbands never made it home. Some dads never made it home that day. I have wronged these people, but all of those offenses are derivatives of the main sin. All those are secondary in nature. What I did first and foremost is I sinned against the Lord. I rebelled against his word. And if I had not rebelled against his word, I would not have wronged these people. If I had stayed true to God's word, I would not have to apologize to this person and that person. I would not be planning a funeral if I had just honored God and not sinned against him. I could have avoided all of these things. Church, when we commit our sins, we're first and foremost violating God. And when our sins, sins spill over into people's lives, what we're violating is the, uh, the godly image, his image and likeness that has been imposed on every person because we have been made according to his desire in his image and likeness. When we go against the Lord, it spills over into a lot of other places and it affects a lot of other people like we shared last week. Had David just stayed true to God, so much could have been avoided. And I believe this. The word says that godly sorrow, you know, godly repentance leads to God. Godly sorrow leads to repentance and all of these things when we are able to realize that our offense is not just against ourselves, not against our society, not against someone else, but when we are able to look and see, my offense is against the Lord. That produces godly sorrow and that brings repentance into our hearts. And so I find it incredible that a man who could have 
said, off with your head, Nathan, says, you're spot on. I've sinned against the Lord. But I find even more incredible in this scripture. If we're going to encounter the way of forgiveness, we need to understand a few things about forgiveness. And what I find incredible is the very next verse that Nathan shares. And Nathan says, the Lord also has put away your sin. The Lord has also put away your sin. Church, what you need to understand when it comes to forgiveness is that when God grants it, it's immediate. When God grants his forgiveness, it is immediate. I'll speak for myself. That startles me because such a great sinner, such a man who committed such a great, he didn't just tell a white lie. He did not just say, hey, I I, I fudged around on my taxes. No, this is a man who decided to commit murder and he decided to take another man's wife. He hid that knowing perfectly well he was a judge and he has condemned other men in the past for doing that exact thing and now he knows I did this it's wrong that's that's major that's a huge sin I know that we might say it we 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 declare it all sin is sin in the eyes of God but tell the truth don't you classify some people's sins over others tell the truth don't we say you know what oh this isn't that bad you know, me, me just telling a little white lie, you, know, you don't want to sit there and explain to your son something, so you're like, you know what, you, you can't figure out what you need to say and what you need to do to get them to comply, so you say something, and, and you say that something is going to happen because of it, that that's not going to happen, that's not the truth, but, but you know what, that's not that bad, I'm not killing anybody, I'm actually doing this for his own good, he's going to be okay if he doesn't do this thing, because he's going to get hurt if he does this thing, and so I'm telling a little white lie and trying to put fear in him so that we don't go down this road. Hey, sin is sin. Although we say that, it's the reality. And because of this, we can get tripped up in this. You know, I find it startling that so quickly, Nathan said, your sin has been put away from you and you shall not die. Anybody resonate with that? God forgives us immediately. You know what, all the people here who's ever been in a relationship should be like, you know what, that resonates with me. Honey, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're getting the, he's getting the cold shoulder for a bit. I'm sorry. Yeah, right, she's going to get the caveman grunt. I'm not even giving her the benefit of a, a, a single word answer. Cool off. You know, we want swift, immediate forgiveness, but when we are to dispense it ourselves, we want to put people on probation. We want swift, immediate forgiveness, but when it comes to somebody else, no, 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 not yet. No, I'm not ready. I wasn't ready for this. I'm not ready. Nope, nope. She's going to wait. She's going to marinate. He's going to marinate. We're going to stay in this cloud of tension here for a little bit. Because I'm not ready to forgive yet. Uh Uh-uh. Yet when Nathan confessed promptly, briefly, accurately, when he shared his issues publicly, immediately, Nathan said, your sin has been forgiven. See, God is in the business of forgiving us immediately. Psalms 51.4 uh, 
talks about how we have sinned against the Lord in his sight and he goes on to tell us through his word that God is the one who gives us forgiveness immediately. In Isaiah 55, it says this, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. See, God is waiting for us only to be penitent, only for us to ask for forgiveness and at that moment when that is done, immediately the answer is given the forgiveness is granted. There's nothing holding back. There's no period of time. There's no buffer. There's no you know, probationary period. There's no onboarding period. There's no time between when you start your job and when your benefits kick in. It happens right there immediately. The moment that we say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. I have sinned against you. Lord, I have sinned against you. Immediately it comes. And some of us, we need to hear that because we have been asking God for forgiveness and we feel like there needs to be a period of time in order that we're gonna earn it. Let me tell you, you're not gonna earn God's forgiveness as much as you're gonna earn his love. You can't, it's a free gift of God, which leads to the next thing. Forgiveness was given freely. It was given freely. When Nathan showed up and he said, hey, look, you've done this wrong thing. David, I have sinned against the Lord. Your sins have been put away from you. You will not die. See, David, you don't have to go through a monotony of sacrifices and rituals. You're not gonna go through all of these hoops you're gonna jump through before you can experience this forgiveness. David, I don't want you to go and, and, and offer up to God some benefits and, and, and pour out things so that you can garner his favor. David, all, everything that you could possibly possibly do anyways is like filthy rags before the Lord. So David, right now, let me just tell you, you have been pardoned freely. God has granted it to you. Psalms 51, 16, David knew this. He said, for I will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it to you. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. God is willing to freely give his pardon. Somebody here needs to hear this this morning. And it's only a perfectly free pardon that could ever meet our case, church. Hear me out. The attempt to merit or earn a pardon from our past transgressions by voluntarily suffering, by, you know, giving multiplied prayers and fasting time and time again, God, please help me out. God, please hear my cries. God, please forgive me of my sins. And doing this again and again, or just promising God, I will be faithful. I will be obedient, God. In the future, I promise I will never do it. God, just please give me another chance. God, please forgive me. Do you know that that's contrary to the word of God? That's not in the scriptures. But David knew this, and what he did is he cried out to God's multitude of grace. His multitude of God's tender mercies, as Psalm 51, 1 says. David appealed to the fact that God was abounding in grace, not wishing that any should perish, but that he wants to pour out his love towards us. That Jesus Christ, while we were yet sinners, he died for us, freely given, freely bestowed upon us. This is the way of forgiveness is confession before God that is quickly, promptly made, that is publicly in view of God, that is appropriate in knowing the nature of what has happened, that is brief and not complex. It is something that experiences God immediately and freely. But one thing that we know from his story, church, is that forgiveness is something that yet has consequence. It yet brings consequence. It, it yet experiences consequence. We saw that last week. We talked about how if you invite sin into your home, it's going to rearrange the furniture. The fact is that sin will change some things in our lives, and we see that you know, in the story of David. 
the penalty of death to which David had virtually condemned himself to. This man who stole that lamb, he should die and should be repaid four times more what he did to the other. What he pronounced was averted from his own life. He wouldn't die. But yet, the penalties were not settled. God settled the death penalty. He didn't settle the issues. Friends, repentance is like this. It's like fetching back a stone that was just thrown into the river. You can pick up that stone from the pool. You can pick it up from the waterbed, but that stone retrieved will not do away with the ripples upon the surface. There's gonna be ripples on that waterbed. The stone is in your hand, but the issue will remain, and sometimes the issues remain until the end of our lives. There's some consequences we carry until the end of our lives. It's often the case that painful consequences of sin continue long past the pardon. We saw that in David's life. You know, isn't it interesting that, you know, God told him immediately, you won't die. But he didn't say nothing won't die. He said that child which you bore in sin will be removed. That child will pass away. See, God had already dealt with the, the issue of sin inside of David's life, but he was about to deal with the presence of sin in David's life. And so God wanted to remove the issue from his heart, and now he removed the, the, the reminder of it from his life. That he may one day say, you know what, as this child is growing up and everything is going right and David feels like God's favor is there, he looks at that child and says, yeah, God doesn't really mean what he says. See, sometimes we look at that and we say, hey, it's kind of unfair. We look at the God of the Old Testament and we say, hey, that's kind of unfair that God did this and is saying this. But you know what, I think that when God does allow the ripples of our sin to, to branch out around our lives, He's doing so not as a punitive God, but he's doing it as a loving father who allows us to understand that there are consequences to our sin. He wants us to grow towards holiness and to to be committed uh, to obedience. He wants us to maintain a beneficial remembrance of the sin. He wants us to have a healthy relationship with understanding our history and our proclivities and to produce a constant gratitude and humility. David said, Lord, I thank you that you saved. I could have died, but you redeemed me. You spared me, Father. You took this away from me, but Lord, you did allow me to live and to continue forward and to vindicate in others the justice of God because a God that is just cannot pardon sin, cannot just live and cozy up with sin. He cannot shack up with sin. God does not embrace sin because like we said last week, to embrace sin is to embrace death. And there is no death in him. There is light. There is hope. There is a future. Within David's story, Have you stopped to understand and and, and consider this? Never past this moment is it ever recorded that David had an issue with adultery. Never once again does he have an affair. Never once is his lust left unchecked within his heart. Like we said last week, what could have possibly led this man unchecked sins within his heart? Never again is this an issue in his life. Why? Because God is a loving father who wants us to remember our sin, wants us to live in the gratitude that he brought us out of it. 
wants us to proceed in holiness and obedience, wants us to show others that God is just and he vindicates when sin is committed. He will not allow the righteous forsaken or his seed out begging for bread. He will fight for the cause of the orphan, the widow, and the powerless. Amen? I invite the team to come up as we conclude and spend some time in the Lord's table. I was just contemplating as we're reading this. The way to forgiveness is very simple. It's not elaborate. David's story could have been something totally different. And the history of of God's people could have been something totally different. Came across this story that connected well. After John Jefferson robbed a Krispy Kreme donut back in 1999 in Kingsport, Tennessee, he went off with the money and he bought some dope. But he couldn't enjoy that dope. He couldn't enjoy the drugs that he bought because he was plagued with guilt for what he did. He kept thinking back what he did, and even though he was trying to consume those drugs, months later went by, and when he had moved over to Kansas, that guilt still followed him. He changed his face, yet he didn't change what was in his heart. He still had that heavy hand of God upon his mind, that conviction that was there. And so Jefferson decided, I'm going to confess. He called Detective David Cole of the Kingsport Police, and he identified himself as the robber, the guy who couldn't take it any longer. I can't take it. He said in an interview, I was sick and tired of the way I was living. I didn't want to die in a crack house. I didn't want to smoke crack anymore. And after he pled guilty in a court of law, He served six years. And when he was released, he tried several times to go back to that Krispy Kreme. He tried to go back and talk to the owners of that store. And every time that he would try to go back and repay them the money he had stolen, something would stop him and he couldn't keep going. So finally he called the detective once again. Hey, David Cole, I need your help. Will you go with me to Krispy Kreme? So the detective went with him to the store, and there he brought $300, and he added 100 He had stolen three, but he took back four. He says, hey, I am the guy who made you guys a victim of robbery. I'm the guy who stole from you $300. And here I am to pay it back. I'm sorry. I did you wrong. The Krispy Kreme owner said, hey, just donate it to charity. Give it to St. Jude's or something like that. And the words that he said right afterwards is the words that I, I believe David was feeling in his heart. Jefferson said this, I felt like a million bucks when I walked out of that place. A man who has gone to jail, an ex-drug addict who sold $300. I don't know how much money he has and what his life is like at this point. But when he finally confessed before his sins, he felt like a million bucks. Church, God does something in our lives when we are open to him. He knows it all already. But when we come up to him and say, Lord, I've fallen short of your glory. I've, I've messed up. 
I've sinned against you. I've sinned against my brother, my father, my mother, my sister, my, my fellow man. When we come to him and we open up, the Bible tells us that he is faithful and just. We, if we don't say that we've sinned, we are deceiving ourselves. But if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgiveness of all unrighteousness and cleanse us of our sins. He makes us new. And things start changing within our hearts. We start experiencing his presence. He can redeem the mess of our lives. And is that not what we do when we come and approach the Lord's table? When he invites us to come and participate and pay attention to when he laid down his life while we were yet sinners, he immediately came for us. He laid it down freely. And he applies it to us at his consequence. Jesus came, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, was buried in a tomb, but he raised to life again on the third day, conquering death, sin, and the grave. He's done it for you, for me.